It's the Faith Church Podcast. My name is Christoph, and with me today is Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Christoph. How's it going, man? It's good. How are you doing? Great. Yeah? I'm doing really well. Are you sure? I am. Now, I don't know if I'm outing you by saying this, but you, you've been you've been battling an injury. Yeah, not a big deal. I've been, I was training for the Bellin 5K that was this last Saturday. Yeah. It was awesome to train. Our whole family did, and um, a week from this last Saturday... Uh, I like it, my calf blew up while I was running and, yeah. uh, some sort of muscle strain or something. So yeah, I'm a little hobbled. If you see me limping around, that's what's going on, but hopefully I'll be back up and biking and running soon. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's rough right at the beginning when weather is finally starting. You know, last week we we're talking about <laughs> how we hate the cold weather and we're excited for the warm weather. And then, yeah, that yep. happens. Uh, but, but your whole family, I, I feel like this is, you suffered so that they could run literally <laughs> i like that i love how you you came in on sunday and you're telling me about how how your kids did and like all of them were like none of them are like go out of their way to compete in running no but they all did like incredible did really in their well. age bracket. it was so fun they i'm so proud of them they worked hard and it sounds like for our community here it was a great event like yeah. it sounds like people had a lot of fun and good turnout and hopefully they do it again it's cool. I yeah. love it. I love hearing about it. Uh, but you got to preach this past Sunday. I did. I had cool. so much fun with this chapter. Yeah. So last week we were kind of talking about Jay's sermon, and this week we had to talk about yours. And the last two weeks we have taken two really large chunks of Acts. And and I feel like I feel like last week's that made sense as we're preaching through Stephen, and it's like kind of his rebuke. Uh, not, not his rebuke, but kind of his like, here's how all of this pointed towards Jesus. Uh, but then we get into Acts 8. And as you're going through Acts 8 on Sunday, I like I couldn't keep up. My brain was firing on, I was like, oh, wait, I want to go, go down this rabbit trail. And yep. I want to go down this rabbit trail. And uh, you did a great job, by the way, of of really giving uh, kind of this condensed picture of Acts chapter 8. But what was it like trying to like tackle so many things in one sermon? Well, thanks for the, the uh, encouragement too. But yeah, it was... Um, you know, when I first saw that I had that chapter with those stories, I felt a little bit like, well, this is daunting, but as I got into it and really started studying it, it was so life-giving for my own soul. I mean, you probably have experienced that too. When you, whenever you preach on a topic, there's so much that God does in your own heart through what you're preaching. That's just his gift Yeah. in the middle of the work. But this one in particular, my goodness, it, there's so much happening and the the work of the spirit is so evident and obvious. Yeah, I just found it very encouraging. So were were there? Let's let's start there. Were there a few things in particular that really encouraged you or really stood out to you? Yeah, I think you know I ended up kind of landing on that inclusion exclusion, like that the world has excluded those whom God created and loves. Yeah, and the more I I dwelt upon even. Even Simon the Magician, you know, he, who knows what his life story was. We're not given it, but he's definitely trying to make himself the center of everything, which makes me wonder, you know, he's kind of a, a bit of a villain in the middle of it, but he's also someone God's working on. That really moved my heart, you know, the the way that God brings in those which the world has forgotten yeah, and the world is overlooked. And the Samaritans being the first example, really, you know, they, they were just detested. The, yeah, I think we miss we not now we miss that, but that is such a a common theme not only in Jesus's ministry, but the fact that then it's brought back up in Acts chapter eight. 
Um, and, and one of the words that you used that really stood out to me was you, you brought up the fact that when that happens, when there's exclusion, we are dehumanizing people. And that's a huge issue because that is a, um, a complete denial of the image of God in people when we do that. And I, I loved that point. Yeah. That, I mean, and then when we do it, it excuses behaviors that we would never excuse. It's just so sad. And yeah, I always think of the, um, the image that comes to my mind is, you know, the kid at lunch, you know, in school and mm-hmm. he's just, he or she is just by himself or trying to find a seat on the bus and there's no one that will let them sit with them or that, that moment of feeling like I am so other, I do not fit. I do not belong. I'm out. It's uh there, there are a lot of examples of that in the Bible, right? Like even uh, lepers were that way, right? And G- the way that Jesus in his gospel upended that dynamic and brought hope that things don't always have to be that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, this is just a little aside on the dehumanization part. I've been noticing that related to Ukraine, actually, um, that some of the, the memes and comments about the evil that's being done by the Russian military, uh, they will call them orcs instead of humans, like orcs, like, um, like Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And they're, they're beasts, right? They're not humans. And uh, there's a sense in which I get why a Ukrainian would say that because this, this behavior massacring, you know, civilians, torturing, whatever is just so horrible that it's like, how, how would a human being do that to another human being? Yeah. But then it's also, it could be used to excuse behaviors in, in return. Isn't that true? It, it, that's what we do. Yeah. You know, that's an extreme example right now, but we, we have ways of doing that that are much less violent um, in our everyday life. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's so true. And I, I love just going back to the lunchroom example. Mm-hmm. I, I've said that w- when it comes to youth ministry, I, I try to encourage students like, hey, one immediate way, if if you are in the public schools and you want to love people, lunchtime, like, look around at lunchtime and see who's you know eating on their own. I remember when I went to school and, and we had three different lunch periods. So we would have like a, we would have a certain block of class and it was a lunch b lunch or c lunch and and you'd have lunch at the beginning of that class or in the middle of it or at the tail end of it and if you ever for whatever reason had to go and be a part of a different lunch period than you were you're used to you know if you went to c but mm-hmm. but you had to for whatever reason go to a and you walk in there and it's all people you know it's at school but you feel like such an outsider Yes. And uh, I remember some people would go, when I went to school in Marinette, early 2000s, some people would just go to um, the choir room. You could go to the mm. choir room because there was no choir class. And just so avoid people, the thing altogether. Just to avoid <laughs> the thing altogether, yeah. But how does that feel? You know, that feels so outside. It feels so different. It feels, like you said, I, I think in a way, dehumanizing. And and that's certainly the posture some, some had towards the Samaritans. And so it's really beautiful that once we get outside of the scope of Jerusalem and the story of Acts, that's immediately where we look to is Mm -hmm. Philip's work in Samaria. That's powerful. It is. And that connection with Jesus in Acts 1-8, promising them that they would be his witnesses in in Samaria and the way that God chose to bring that about. I just found that fascinating that it wasn't like they were scheming, how do we get this done now? How do we fulfill what he gave us to do? They just kept living, and then God, through this persecution that broke out, scattered them. He chose to scatter them the way he did and included Philip. Yeah. And that was the other theme, I guess, that really resonated with me is this God taking what evil is intending for harm and turning it for good. 
Yeah, that's. I mean, just, it's, the, it's the story of Joseph, right? Right. Yep. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. I was thinking. So, tell me if I'm reading into this at all. But this this kind of brings me like to the first kind of aha moment that I had as I was as I was reading through this, um, because as we've been going through Acts and we've we've now gone through the beginning of Acts all the way through Acts chapter eight. And I love that we're just we're tackling this book all together as a church. Um, I. I was thinking about the fact you kind of have this apex moment early on in the story of Stephen, right? Um, early on, the persecution just kind of started off as, hey, these guys are doing this thing in the name of Jesus, and the, the, the chief priests get upset, and then they throw them in jail overnight, and then they throw a bigger group in jail overnight, and kind of just feels like the persecution is ramping up, right? And then we see with Ananias and Sapphira, we start to see kind of a, a little bit of insidiousness enter into the church, and quickly that, that kind of gets squashed out. Uh, but then all of a sudden we have this persecution that ends in Stephen's death. And it kind of feels like we hit this, this apex moment of this church really early on in Jerusalem. And notice what happens. One of the common themes for the first you know six chapters of Acts is the importance of the unity of the church. Uh, and, and the fact that they are unified, living together, and they are, they are humbly living with one another, sharing all things. They, they are unified. Um, this apex moment happens and what happens immediately after it is a scattering, mm-hmm. which to me just really stood out of like, oh man, all right. So they got this glimpse of this, this unity and now they're called to go. Uh, and, and this is what it, it first looks like. And I, I don't know, for me, that really like, that resonated with me to see um, this work that God did to them. He now wants to go and use, you know, through them. Uh, and I think it's really easy sometimes for us to sit in, um, the different blessings that we've participated in, you know, and early on this, this church participated in this really radical unity. They got to see incredible signs and wonders being done. And, and sometimes we get that. Sometimes we get the opportunity to be a part of that, but then we sit in it and we don't actually then ask the question like, okay, God, how are you calling me then to, to go out and, and, and be that elsewhere? Where, where does that look like? That's such a good insight. That's good. Well, that's, that's just, that, that's from your preaching, you, you yeah, kind of, as no, we were reading through that. That's, you know, in that unity, that call to unity, what, what happened with the apostles coming to sort of like investigate or verify the, the faith of the Samaritans when the spirit was then poured out on them. Yeah. I think that's partly what was at stake there is that you could, you could imagine a, a situation where the Samaritans did come to Jesus, but like they had the last thousand years or so they had sort of a parallel faith because they weren't like Gentiles to the Jews. They weren't like complete non-Jews. They were like half. Right. Right. And they had sort of a, a mixture of religion that was different than Judaism, but they were, they weren't foreign. It wasn't like Buddhists or something. So they had sort of a parallel divergent faith, but they weren't unified. And you can imagine that same instinct carrying forward and that you'd have like followers of Jesus who were ethnically Jewish. And then you had followers of Jesus who were, part Jewish over here and they're doing their thing and they don't meet. And this to me seems like God making it very clear that is not going to be the case in my family. We are going to be one. And that's why I think the apostles had to come like and come like that and yeah. kind of an odd occurrence where they believed and were baptized and they did not receive the spirit. Um, that was an interesting thing to look at as well. I was going to say, prepping. I love the fact that you, you took a moment to kind of talk about that because that that's kind of a, big deal and mm-hmm. that's a big theological point and i love that you went to it's one of my favorite passages to go to when when talking about this but romans 8 9 um 9 and 10 you can put 10 in there as well 
of, of talking about the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Um, can you maybe talk a little bit about that? Maybe why did you feel like it was so important to pause on that and maybe unpack it? Yeah, I mean, it's true. It is a it is a very significant theological distinction, and it's one in which, um, unfortunately, there has been division in the church. Talk about there was supposed to be an instance of unity, and I think it's led the interpretations of that passage have led to new denominations. Yeah, we have brothers and sisters who would yep, disagree, disagree with, with that yeah. for sure. Um, I I think it's you know it's an example. We've been talking about how sometimes when you're reading Acts the things you're reading are prescriptive. That is, they're, they are for us. They are binding. They're how we are supposed to do things. Right. And there's examples of that with their unity, with their being and having all things in common. Like those are things that we are called to, generosity. Um, but then there are times when what we're reading is descriptive of a particular historical event, and it's just a description. It's not meant to be a prescription. Sure. And yeah. I think this is one of those instances that was so peculiar and it was a one-time event. It would never happen again the first time that the gospel went to Samaritans in this way, that it was just unique, you know? And so that two-stage initiation can play out a number of different ways. So some have taken that to mean um, a bishop always needs to lay hands on a person after they're baptized and confirmed. So there are some within the Christian church different denominations who that's the way they function and they would point to this passage as an example right. of that. And another way of interpreting it is um, there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit that needs to happen later after a person uh, comes to Jesus, they don't have the fullness of the Spirit in some way, and they would point to this passage as well. And yep. where we're different is that we think that was a unique thing. That was a, um, you'll see it again in Acts. There's a, a number of times when that sort of happens, but it's because of the unique stage the church was in. And I think it's interesting. I didn't go there, but if you even think about the, the chapter eight and this Ethiopian who comes to Jesus with Philip in the, um, they're riding along in the chariot, mm -hmm. right? They did not call for the apostles. That's true. He went yeah. home to Ethiopia. Presumably there were no apostles in there yet because they were all in Jerusalem and I would think if you're Philip and you think this man needs the apostles to lay their hands on him, that you would have made sure that happened before you let him go. And for sure. And yeah. or God would have, and he just didn't. That's just another, I think, in the text itself hint that what happened there was really unique, really important. Yeah. And I would, so where this, I, f I feel like practically plays out, or at least I've kind of seen it practically play out and why we would say, we we find this view of it important the fact that when you are saved so just to clarify what what we would say we believe and correct me if i'm wrong i feel like we're on the same page here but um when you believe when you uh when you profess jesus to be lord you ask for forgiveness when you are saved that moment uh the promises the spirit dwells with you goes with you fills you empowers you um and that that cannot be taken away or um, it, it, he, he goes with you. He is with you. We believe, you know, um, this, this also is directly connected to kind of a, a, a robust idea of who the Trinity is, right? Is God. This is God with us. God goes with us. And our understanding is that the Holy Spirit goes with us, fills us. And I would say why I feel like that's an important distinction um, from just a ministry perspective is to say, like, there is a confidence. If you have, if you have been saved, God walks with you. And I think that sometimes in our faith, when we feel like we are spiritually low, 
that part of it is we are not doing what we are supposed to do and that if we were to just do what we do, God would fill us and, and then we would go. But the truth is, is that God has never left us. God is never away from us. God goes with us in, in all of those moments. And so at any moment, you you know, he, he's there. It's not as if he, he goes away or as if you're <laughs> my, my image in my brain. Um, I think of a song that says a, a glass can only spill what it contains, which mm. I, I love that line. But I also think God is not like a liquid that's getting poured into us. Right. God yes. is uh, God goes with us. He is he is there with us. Um, and to me, I feel like there's, that's important. That's important to know. I've, I've had moments in my life where I have felt broken and I have had to remind myself that confidently God goes with me. He knows my brokenness. He knows my pain. Um, and so that's, that's important. That's why I would say, I feel like it seems like it could be kind of a, well, why even bring that up? But I, I, I think it's pretty important. It is because he wants us to walk in confidence that we are new creations in Christ, that we have been renewed that we're putting off the old self and putting on the new self which is really our the new self yeah and he doesn't wait and delay to do that now it's interesting the impulse of responding to a um, challenge or brokenness with feeling like man i must not be full of the spirit i actually get that i understand why a person would conclude that yeah and um i think you know, I guess pastorally, my encouragement, if you're feeling that you're listening to this, like, how could I possibly be full of the spirit if I do this is to ask yourself, um, why are you concerned about whatever that thing is? Mm. So if there's a sin in your life that you feel conviction over and concern over, I, I think often that is because the spirit is in you actually working that conviction in you. Um, and that's really important to follow that lead. Paul does say to be filled with the spirit, right? He says, do not get drunk with wine, be filled with wine, but be filled with the spirit. So I do think I pray regularly for myself and for others that they would be full of the spirit. So I think there's something, there's something in the sense of we have been filled. He dwells in us. He's always with us and we can be filled. And I think that that's the growth. It's a continued yielding of ourselves to his leading and filling. Well, that's a good, man, that's, that's so good because that then to, to say that then is to say, no, that, that feeling of brokenness, that, that feeling of suffering isn't a lack of the Holy Spirit being filled. It's actually the opposite. It is yes. the recognition of, it is the Holy Spirit helping you recognize the brokenness of this world. And that could be, that could be sin that you are, you are struggling with. So that could be sin that you are, are participating in, or it could be, because a lot of times I, I think we miss this perspective. It could be sin that's done to you and suffering that's being done to you to recognize that that is sin because then what that should rec- that what that builds up into us is the the fact that we need to forgive, you know, yes. and, and to see then the world in that light. So it's not only um, the recognition of our sin, but then the recognition of other sins. And that's a, that's a really important, that is not you far from God, but instead that is actually God working inside you in that moment. Yes, whenever our thinking or our feeling or our acting is more like Jesus towards sin, that is a really good sign, including grieving it, including not wanting it. That that is a sign that um, he is at work in your heart and he is filling you. Yeah. So follow him. Yeah. Don't let Satan discourage you from, from thinking that you belong to him. I love you know, it. if you belong to him, if you put your trust in him, you are his and you can live in that with confidence. 
That's good. So continuing in, in that you you brought up, let's let's move on to uh, the Ethiopian eunuch because this is a really interesting story. It really is, and it is. It's so funny. Like I said, this was this was so much. There was so much in Acts chapter eight that you could <laughs> you could have talked. You could have talked about Simon. You could have talked about this feeling of the Holy Spirit. You could have talked uh, talked about Philip going to Samaria, and you had to f- pull all of these in all together. Um, what what about this story struck you? What about this story of of Philip and the eunuch? kind of struck you i think the the number of things the spirits leading philip the more i tried to imagine you know you're in this place where you see god working so he's proclaiming a message in samaria miracles are happening the idea of leaving that situation for a desert road leading to who knows where like he didn't know he didn't have a destination it was just the road is amazing that god's spirit would lead him in that way and very specifically for one man I think that is just an amazing love. And then obviously through that one man, we would we would believe that more people came to know Jesus when he went back. Um, the Ethiopia, by the way, in the Bible here is not the same Ethiopia that we would call Ethiopia today. It's probably more like northern, like north, um, okay. like Egypt area, that that, yeah. r- that range and a little south of there, but still Africa. And it was one man that, that he went for and that God led him towards so that's one thing I, I just think is amazing. And I think we can live with confidence that God is leading us. I, I feel like, so this is this is what's coming to my mind when, I, when I'm thinking of Philip in just this chapter. He's kind of living like a Forrest Gump lifestyle. He's like a, he's like a spiritual <laughs> Forrest Gump, right? Oh. He, he kind of is. Like he, he starts off, the first we hear of Philip is is it's uh, is early on and he's, he's chosen to serve, which is pretty incredible. He's there with this early church and then he's sent out and he gets to go and be this witness to Samaria and he interacts with Simon and now he's getting sent out to go to the desert and he yes. runs into this Ethiopian eunuch. Like he, this is, Philip's life is pretty interesting and, and we get to see so many different angles of this and, and you're right, just to be receptive of this, go, be faithful and, and just ask God like, where, where are you working? Where, where, oh, there's an Ethiopian eunuch on a chariot reading Isaiah. Maybe I should go and talk to him. Which, by the way, okay, this this is this is what struck me, and I haven't looked into this at all. When it says he was reading Isaiah, or he was he was, do you, do you think he actually had? Because you don't have like, you know, Jeffrey Bezos doesn't have a time machine going back and making Amazon stores in the uh, in the first century. It's actually kind of rare that he would have had. He had a scroll. That would have been something. rare. Yeah, yeah. He, and. I think that reflects um, the wealth and the prestige of the person yeah, and his literacy even that he, you know, could read it. Who knows? I don't know what language he would have been reading that in. Um, I guess maybe, uh, I don't know what he would have been reading, but um, I'm sure we could find out if anyone's curious. Right. Yeah. But uh, it does reflect how important the man was and that, that makes you think too, who Philip walked up to, this would have been for most human beings, a really intimidating situation. Yeah, absolutely. This is a high official from another country. And you're, I mean, you're hearing him read something you know about. And you're like, let me tell you what that actually means. Yeah. Well, and I love, he didn't start with that. He didn't even start with that. He's like, uh, do you understand what you're reading? That question to me, the more I dwelt on that, the more I was like, this is so loving. It's very inviting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then the guy does invite him in, come on up into the chair. I, I love to see the picture of that. I, you know, I'm trying to imagine it, but yeah, it is amazing. I mean, they would have been from two very different places with very different lives. Yeah. 
Philip and the, the Ethiopian man, but I do wish we had his name. I kept thinking that, and I'm sure there is some church tr- tradition that would say what his name is, yeah, but we definitely right. in our biblical right. record don't have it. No, no, he's, yeah, he's just, he's just referred to as this Ethiopian eunuch, but like he, he must have been, I just, it, it, it really sat on me after the message, just this interaction, because it would have been such a weird, rare occurrence. How in the desert, a high official. So not only did he have access to the Isaiah, but he's, he's on a chariot traveling like, man, I, I don't know. It's just. And his desire to worship God is what, what we're told brought him to that region that he came to worship. So he, he was a pretty unique human. He had means to do that for one thing, but then he chose the amount of time it would have taken for him to travel and probably the dangers involved in that, the uncertainties of a, you know, random desert road. Um, this was a really big deal. He was hungry for God. He really wanted to know him. And, and there is debate, at, you know, more I researched it, whether or not this man would have been a full convert to Judaism or not. He, most that I read really don't think he probably was. He was probably... He's kind of an eclectic yes, person. He knew something of it, um, which is why he wouldn't have understood what he was reading necessarily you would imagine most jewish people would have had an uh, explanation or understanding of what isaiah was saying there so god was doing something unique in him and yeah they have this amazing encounter and then all of a sudden there's water in the desert and he is baptized yeah and that's that's no I, that's no small deal in that time especially considering i i i have to imagine if he's coming from jerusalem and the temple right which is where he was he was mm-hmm. coming from he would have probably known the persecution that the christians were were going through at least at this point and and so for for him somebody who maybe was eclectic i i feel like you could see them saying like okay this is this is cool i'll, I'll add that kind of to my my collection but instead it's like oh baptize me like i'm gonna, I'm gonna get baptized i'm gonna be all in like that that's kind of a big deal we we it, it's funny, we, we talk about this sometimes, but to get baptized here, there's no real uh, cost to it. There's right? not a lot at stake. There's not a lot at stake. Socially. Socially, exactly. Like, you're, you're not, you know, um, yeah, it's a little awkward sometimes. Maybe you're a little bit embarrassed. Maybe you're a little bit shy. But, like, in terms of the cost, you're not worried about your name getting put on any sort of list. You're not worried about your family being in danger. You're not worried about yourself being in danger. But that's certainly not the case around the globe. Um, and I would imagine in this time... The, the cost of being baptized, the stakes of that was probably rising. Uh, so again, for someone of this of, of this nature to be baptized is a pretty big deal. It is. It's, it's full identification with Christ as king. And, and considering that he had this royal position, serving a queen, it, it's really significant. It, it, we're not told, but it makes you wonder what conversations happened when he got home. You know, and yeah. if his if his life work would have been changed after that, or if that was okay, you know, I don't know. That, like you said, there was probably a lot at stake for him, and probably people watching. I doubt he was alone. He, he probably had attendants or people with him um, in the caravan or whatever he was in yeah. when he was traveling, and they would have seen this happen. Right. So yeah. All right. So a little bit of a curveball question. This this can we'll we'll, we'll end after this, but I'm I'm just thinking through this. You know, acts one through eight is 
I should say it this way. Acts 9 kind of starts like a new chapter. I mean, I know it actually starts a new chapter, but it feels like it starts a whole new chapter of Acts because we're going to be introduced to Paul. And uh, if you're familiar with your Bible, um, he he kind of becomes uh, the, the person that is followed for a, a majority of the next part of Acts. Not all of it, but a, a majority of it. Um, and uh, I, I would be curious, just your thoughts, as we're, we're finishing up Acts 1 through 8, what to you kind of seems to be the big takeaway? As, as we've, we've heard this preach now between you and Robbie and Jay, um, as we've been studying through this, as we've been praying through this, what, what are, what's maybe a few big takeaways for, for, from Acts at this point? I think the confirmation, you know, at the time, the confirmation for Jesus's people that he really and truly was king, that he was the Messiah. Because the the fear and the doubt um, early on was so significant. And so over and over again, you're seeing them actually say things like kingdom. And, and every time we see the word Christ, that's not a last name, right? That's a title. Yeah. So they're ascribing to him a royal title of this king whose reign would never come to an end. So I think that's, you know, I, I made it. It was a quick like sentence or two on Sunday. But the main character of this continues to be God. He is at work. His king is reigning. Jesus is reigning. And the king's spirit is now filling people. And these people are growing, you know, and he's building the kingdom like he said he would in the gospels. So to me, that's the that's the big takeaway. And that every time there's resistance and opposition, God is at work in that. It's not just, you know, like I think on Sunday I said, he's not wringing his hands. He's not. He can handle it. It's not a surprise to him. And he continues to sustain sustain his people. And even with this story where we're introduced really briefly to Saul, you know, that he's going house to house right, in this right. like intense, brutal persecution. Um, that's about to change because God's going to also Paul Saul is not too much for God to overcome either. Right, right. So that's my main what 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 comes to your mind? I'm curious what your main no, that's, takeaways would be that's that's pretty similar honestly is just this this affirmation of, of jesus as king and as, even as you're saying that i'm kind of realizing there's this ac- actualization of this this kingdom that's happening but it's happening with the people yes. and that, that is so beautiful um I, when when we read i, I think of, of oftentimes how uh in first corinthians paul refers to the body as a temple and i think w- now I think we have oftentimes just kind of related that to our, our physical bodies. You know, we've said that, you know, we are, but, but I think a better understanding of that is the, the, the church body, the people are, are the temple, are God's dwelling place. This is, he is, he's actualizing his kingdom within his people. Um, and these people are radically loving one another. They're loving other people. Incredible things are happening. Um, so I, I think, I think, yeah, that, that has been the big thing. And then, I think a constant prayer that has been on my heart ever since we started this is to just be given eyes to see where God is working. Um, because there isn't a single place he isn't working, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think if we were to better see wherever we are as an opportunity for God to work, um, we would see, God work in some pretty incredible ways. I don't think, you know, I think back to uh, Peter and John in, in front of the temple and here's this man begging for alms. And he's just like, all right, well, 
we can't give you we can't give you money, but this is what we can give. And you know, he's healed. And, and there's just this spark of um, incredible things that happen. And so, my prayer is that God would give me eyes to see where He's working, not to be dismissive of any sort of thing that happens around me. Otherwise, like how easy could it be to miss the Ethiopian eunuch, to miss the guy in front of the temple, to miss these these opportunities? Um, so help me not to miss those, Lord. Help me to see where you're working and help me to faithfully walk in that. And I think that acts, that, that, that's acts, right? It is. That's a really good application to the things that um, we could see as inconveniences and unfortunate interruptions turn out to be God's those are the leading. things. Those yeah. are the, yep, those yeah. are the moments. And yeah, that that living with that awareness that God is at work and he's not waiting for us to show up. He's already doing something and then we get to take part in it. Right. That is that is so freeing yeah. to that you know, it's not our job to make it happen. But we get to in faithfulness walk in into it and suddenly you know, we find ourselves, wow, that's right. God, you were sovereign over that neighbor you gave me for all these years. Like he is. Yeah, he is. 100%. Uh, yeah, that that's another good takeaway from what we've seen so far. Those limits too on our lives, those are also like, just like we see with this scattering that they were pushed out from Jerusalem. There are moments when that happens in our lives too. Yeah. And I think when they got scattered, it was probably terrifying. You, know, you imagine being a young parent in that moment. Oh yeah. You're getting out of there because they're going house to house and that just how scary that would have been. And you didn't probably have a lot of time to think you just had to go. And then you find yourself in a situation exactly where God wanted you to be, wherever you land next. To me, that's really encouraging for, for our lives. Now we find ourselves where we need to be. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. All right, Jeff. Well, you know what? It's been an awesome couple of weeks. We're probably we're not going to get to do the podcast again together for a while. I think here, uh, I'm sure. Jay hopefully, before too long, right? Yeah, it's hopefully. been fun. Yeah, it has been. Uh, so yeah, Jay and Robbie will probably be back next week uh, for for the podcast. But it has been a huge blessing. If you do have any questions for the podcast, or if you want to get connected with us here at Faith, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. Uh, we're on Facebook, Faith Church Peshtigo. We're online, faithpeshtigo.com. You can send us an email, connect at faithpeshtigo.com. Um, we have a membership class that's coming up. So if you have been attending faith for a while or you, you've been, you've been listening, you're kind of curious what it's like to be a member here at faith. That's an awesome opportunity. You don't have to become a member after doing the membership class. You could just check it out, hear what we're about, get a free lunch and, uh, hang out and, and just kind of hear what we're about. Um, that's coming up May 22nd. Uh, so you can, you could also be a part of that. So, uh, with, with all of that, it has been a huge blessing. Thank you so much for listening. And as you go, go in peace. Uh-huh.